This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Equity Mike! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates. Now, Ren, I normally do my weird and wonderful intro thanks to ChatGPT, but we've just come off a fascinating interview, so we've rolled straight into doing the intros, and I don't have it in front of me. That's all right. That's all right. Um, <laughs> but welcome. You know what? We don't need a weird and wonderful <laughs> intro because uh, what, what the topic of this interview is weird and wonderful enough. That uh, is very true. De-extinction. Yes, what an interview. This isn't hardcore investing or business, but it is a fascinating founder entrepreneurship story and one that is in a field that if it pays off and comes to fruition, oh my God, we're going to see woolly mammoths walking around. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Colossal Biosciences is the company and we're speaking to the co-founder and CEO, uh, Ben Lamb. Uh, Colossal have got a colossal task in front of them. They've set themselves a big goal. They want to bring back from extinction the woolly mammoth, the Tasmanian tiger, aka the thylacine, and the dodo. And that's just where they're starting. (laughs) Yeah, it's nuts. So, uh, we speak to Ben about his journey because he, um, you know, in in case what he's doing now wasn't enough, he's also founded and exited five companies before this. So, he is the definition of a serial entrepreneur. Um, But then we get into the task at hand with Colossal Biosciences, the the founding story and, and where they are on that journey. And the really exciting thing is that Ben is actually coming to Australia. He's going to be in Sydney soon for South by Southwest Sydney. Yes. Yeah, so South by Southwest, if you haven't heard of it before, it's the world's most iconic future focused conference and festival, hence why we have people like Ben speaking. So uh, it's going to be held here in Sydney, the first time that it is held outside Texas here in Sydney from Sunday, October 15th through to Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Uh, Key content pillars include tech and innovation, games, music, screen and culture, 
it is going to be a jam-packed week of programming. Now, if you're interested in grabbing a ticket, you do need a wristband or a badge to attend. Head to sxswsydney.com to secure yours. That's sxswsydney.com. Yeah, so we'll include a link in the show notes uh, for this. But Bryce, before we uh, get into it, I just want to make the call that in our book, Don't Stress, Just Invest, we actually wrote about colossal biosciences. And if you're wondering why uh, there's a connection between uh, this company and our investing book, well, you're going to have to pick up the book available in all good bookstores. I'm not saying that what we wrote in the book had anything to do with us getting Ben for this interview, but I'm not saying it didn't have anything either. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sure. Uh, But yeah, anyway, before we keep rambling, let's get to this interview because it is absolutely fascinating. Well, Ben, a massive welcome to Equity Mates. It's great to have you with us. Thank you uh, so much for having me. So to kick things off and to warm us up, I've got a would you rather question. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great, great grandchildren? I'd love to go into the future and see if I pulled some of these things off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair call. they They either like me or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will get into what you're trying to pull off because it is fascinating. Uh, but Ben, before uh, we uh, get to the work that you're doing today at uh, Colossal Biosciences, we want to start with you because you've had a fascinating career. Um, when we were researching you before this interview, we could count five companies that you founded and exited. It could be more, but there were five that we could find. So we would love to start by hearing your journey in your own words. Uh, can you introduce yourself and, and I guess your career to date to us? Yeah, uh, I, I think five is right. <laughs> um, Must be nice. I, I, I feel I feel like I'm 190 years old, right? Because it's like startup life is not easy to say the least. So I, you know, it's like that was a life. Like people, are like, I'm like that was a lifetime ago. They're like, that was like seven years ago. <laughs> Wait, what? That seems like a hundred years ago. But no, I, I, I'm Ben. I'm one of the lamb that one of the co-founders of George Church uh, and CEO of Colossal Biosciences, or what I believe is the world's first de-extinction company, which sounds like we'll talk about in a little bit. And uh, my journey has always just been one, I guess, of the entrepreneurial struggle, you know, where I work with much smarter women and men than me to work on really interesting problems. I've always been fascinated with kind of what I would say is like the next thing. And, you know, I went to school for finance and accounting, and I realized that was not for me. I, I wanted to do something that's more interesting. And I, I saw an opportunity to, to get into e-learning and, and kind of, you know, uh, play a role in, in how corporate America and, and, and corporations around the world uh, trained their next generation. Like how could we, you know, uh, we, we coined this term called edutainment, or it's like, how can we build something that's really educational and entertaining uh, and hopefully get people to, if they're going to have to do training, how can we do it in a way that people actually, you know, care? Um, and, and so started a company in, in that category. And then, then there was like the iPhone, you know, I, I joked like, you don't want an iPhone, don't touch one, right? Because like the minute I touched an iPhone, I was like, shit, I got to buy one. And then I thought, well, you know, there was an, a blossoming app ecosystem. So I kind of thought, you know, I would move from training to software development and build apps for large corporations. And then I was like, well, there's a huge opportunity here to build gaming. So then we moved into it. We built a gaming platform after that, that, you know, ended up getting acquired by Zynga and, 
yeah and, and in the journey it's just like it's been interesting like along the path i just keep meeting really incredibly smart people one of my co-founders everyone now knows what conversational os is and what llms are we we started a company called conversible and we're about five years too early and 45 billion dollars <laughs> off of uh and, and so every open ai and large language models are now the thing and we were saying that in uh 2016 and no one listened but uh but we started a conversational well, one of the first conversational ai companies out there and it ended up it was great it was still you know not 45 billion dollars great but ended up building a lot of really cool conversational AI driven interfaces for, you know, Disney and Whole Foods and Pizza Hut and all these really cool brands. And so, you know, one of the things I think you'll notice about the journey is it's kind of like, what are interesting technologies that we think could be better leveraged through software and through innovation? You know, fast forward, you know, five years, we, we built one of the leading common operating pictures, which is like a command and control module that help enable everyone from like large enterprises and in, in energy trading companies that could could really monitor what was going on in the grid, leveraging AI to applying that same technology to NORAD Northcom and, and some of the systems that that drive intelligent awareness of what's going on in the skies. And and then that that was further used in homeland security and a few other things. And so it became this dynamic uh, command and control platform that was pretty helpful to the U.S. and some of its allies, and um, with integrated some of with some of, with some of the pieces of that integrated in space. And, and that you know, so once again, didn't know much about it, but it was it was interesting, and we thought it was a cool sector. And then along the way, I met uh, George Church, and I, you know, I like pre-pandemic, I had a pretty good you know like hypergiant of the things I'd worked on was pretty cool. You know, we were doing interesting things in space. We'd go to NASA, we'd go to the Pentagon, we'd have dinner with Bill Nye. It really wasn't the worst. And um, <laughs> it, like, I mean, it's hard, like hard stuff and there were definitely painful days. But then I met George Church because I thought, well, maybe the next, next could be synthetic biology. Could we build software in synthetic biology and leverage AI and in biology? That seems interesting. Seems like all these CRISPR-like tools could be used to make interesting things. And so I, I got my answer from George in like six seconds on my call with him because he's just so smart. And then I'm curious, and I think that probably has been another theme of my life. And I asked George, what else you got? Like, what else are you doing? And he talked about regenerative neurons and all these different things that were just crazy. But then he had to go. It was like towards the end of the call. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I'm also working to bring back the woolly mammoth and de-extinct species and use those technologies for conservation and also to repopulate, you know, broken ecosystems and save the world. And I was like, and he's like, I have to go. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, what? And like, in like, you know, at the time, I think I was like 38, 39. I was like, that was, that was the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me. And he just hung up. And I, just, I, I, I sat there just like dumbfounded that like, you know, I got to talk to this like industry luminary, George Church, and like the, the OG of OGs of, of, of both synthetic biology and, and genetic engineering and was like, you just said the greatest thing to me ever. And it, like, that wasn't, that was that a joke? Like, I, I, I remember the moment like vividly, I was like at my home office and I just, just like, that's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. And, and, and all night long, I stayed up, I read articles and interviews and watched like CNN and, and uh, uh, 60 Minutes and all these different things that George had done. And uh, there was this mammoth through line 
So he like really believed it. And so the next day I got him back on the phone and I asked him if I could come see his lab. Cause like, this is the greatest joke ever. And so I, I was in his office, you know, or in his lab a week later. And uh, at the end of that day, I was like, well, it looks like I'm going to leave my current job and try to go figure out biology with George. Well, Ben, one of the big takeaways there, I think for us is just the breadth of companies that you've you've sort of founded and exited. A lot of people spend their whole lives just focusing on one particular field and, and trying to build a successful company across the span of a lifetime. You've managed to build many across multiple fields, education, defense, now de-extinction. What, what have you learned about entrepreneurship and about you as a founder over that period of time? Uh, that's a great question. I, um, I've learned that uh, I'm really curious and sometimes that's really painful. <laughs> so <laughs> I find things interesting and I want to work on them. And then there's days where I'm like, you know, it may be easier to work on something that isn't as hard, but um, I just like interesting challenges, right? I, I like to learn and I've been very, very fortunate. Interestingly today, like today that we're having this, this conversation, uh, Ariana Husili, who's our head of biological sciences and our mammoth lead, uh, she was elected to time 100, right? And so I get to work with people like that, right? And so for me, you know, being able to talk to, you know, Andrew Pask and George Church and, and Beth Shapiro and all these industry luminaries is just really fascinating. And so, so I found about myself, I'm, I don't, I don't sit still well. And I also find that when I get curious and I get passionate about something, I just kind of go all in. But the flip side is, you know, entrepreneurship's hard and it's painful and there's many more bad days than good in a lot of ways. But, you know, overall, I, I've just been very, very fortunate kind of to learn along the journey. Well, Ben, you said that it, it may be interesting to work on something that isn't as hard. And I think that's a good lead into the work you're doing at Colossal Biosciences because you may have picked the absolute <laughs> hardest uh, field to go into, and that is de-extinction. And now I'm to lead us off, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but have you seen Jurassic Park? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, no, that's a, that's, it's amazing. You did breaking new ground here. <laughs> um, the, so yeah, I, I, it's like, I, I just made it my ringtone cause it's easier at this point. Interestingly enough on the Jurassic Park question, a lot of people ask me if I've seen it, which I have a lot of people ask me, uh, uh if I know how it ended, I do. It was also a movie, but what we're doing is, so, so two interesting things about Jurassic Park, uh, or lots of interesting things, but what two interesting is that relates to Colossal. A lot of people think that we were inspired by Jurassic Park. I would actually argue that Jurassic Park was was inspired by us. And what I mean by that is in Michael Crichton's original book, there is a DNA sequence in it, which is the, which is a slightly, very slightly modified version of one of George Church's first published genome sequences. And so George, I would argue, inspired michael crichton to write the book so um so i would argue that if any you know you know we do not get royalties on jurassic park (laughs) but i would argue that that george was was fundamental in that in in kind of pushing this whole field uh forward right and it's it's crazy to see the two because you're like wow that's virtually the same thing and and then secondly i like to think of what we're doing is like reverse jurassic park and so like jurassic park was like taking you know dna from dinosaurs from amber which by the way 
you cannot get DNA from Amber. <laughs> Not that we've tried. I'm just stating a fact that, uh, you know, and, and then filling in the holes, if you will, with this frog DNA, right? This African frog DNA. With, um, with Colossal, we're almost doing the exact opposite, right? Like we're using the genetic code in the case of like the mammoth of the Asian elephant that we know produced an elephant because we took the samples from an elephant. Uh, and then we're using computational analysis with ancient DNA to understand what the genes were that made a mammoth a mammoth, and then engineering them into that code that we already know works. So we're not trying to fill in the mammoth holes in that fragmented DNA. We're really trying to engineer in the mammoth genes into the architecture that we know produces an elephant. It's fascinating. And there's so many questions that we want to unpack, uh, like what, why and how and stuff like that. But I think just for people that are new to this story and uh, uh, is trying to get their head around it, it would be great to hear the story from that first phone call with George Church. He leaves you with that thought and then hangs up and, and you're reflecting on it. Tell us the story from there. How did it go from that initial conversation to founding Colossal Biosciences to, to where it is today? Yeah. So uh, a week later, you know, I called him back, called him back the next day. And a week later, I was in the lab, spent some time with them in the lab. And, um, you know, I think part of it was him, you know, sussing me out. I was kind of feeling him out. We seem to be very, very similar aligned. Uh, G George, my tagline at Hypergiant, like our registered trademark was tomorrow and today. And towards the end of the meeting, uh, George was like, I feel this is George church saying about himself not me george's like i feel like i'm from the future and i'm just trying to have today catch up to uh the future and i was like well that's our tagline <laughs> we just couldn't be we could not be more philosophically aligned on on everything we're both very collaborative i built a lot of tech and open source software and and he believes in open source like we, we just philosophically see the world a, a lot of the same ways and so uh we got pretty excited i was like okay cool now i gotta go resign from the company i founder and CEO of and figured this out. And then, so I, I, I go back to Texas, start mapping this out. I was like, we're going to call it Mammoth. And then I was like, Disney owns mammoth.com. That's going to be a hard. And what if we do stuff more than Disney? Started like thinking about naming and, and, and like how to do this. And then I'm a big trust, but verify guy. So I ended up actually, you know, I hope if George listens to this, I hope he still loves me afterwards. Uh, I, I did hire external scientists and talked to a lot of other scientists. And what was interesting is most roads <laughs> led back to George. Like we talked to a scientist that's incredible and actually now on our scientific advisor board. And they were like, yeah, yeah. You know who could do this? George Church. And it's like, <laughs> and like, it was like, it was like those clips from like a movie. It's like George Church and George Church. And so it just, it all roads led back to George. And, um, and so I, I felt excited about it. And then this small pandemic hit and um, we, we didn't work on it for a little bit because we were going to build a company that required people in a lab when people weren't allowed to go in, into the same building. So, so it kind of derailed the, you know, like we got really excited and then like we lost a little momentum due to the pandemic. And then coming out of the pandemic, I went and found a CEO to replace me at, at Hypergiant. Great, great guy, big season exec that, that took over my role to help continue to scale the business. And then I was off to, to do this with George. Uh, I will say the first handful of investor meetings didn't go great. They're like, so wait, your business plan is you don't have an agreement with Harvard. 
George is not full time. He's only part part time. Even though I would argue that we get more of George's time than arguably anyone, because um, he's just so passionate about it. Uh, you have no scientists on your team, and none of you guys have a background in in, in biology. And your answer to our monetization question is, yeah, we're going to make a mammoth and we're pretty sure that's valuable in a lot of different ways. We just haven't figured it out. And, 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 and one of my co-founders like built three businesses with me. One of my other co-founders, you know, had taken companies public for billions of dollars. It's like, we, 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 we can figure this out. And the first couple of meetings didn't go great. Um, they just, they were like, you guys have lost your minds. And we're like, no, no, there's there's a technology infrastructure here that we think is really interesting. There's opportunities with governments and carbon credits. Like we like we 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 didn't know we were just talking about what we thought the art of the possible could be. And you know, the the first handful of investor meetings went pretty poorly. And then, you know, fast forward to now, uh, we then took a step back and we said we really need to go meet with long-term, really smart technology investors, right? Like, and so we reached out to Thomas Tall. We reached out to Jim Breyer, reached out to Tim Draper and a few others. And, you know, I, I ended up getting in, I was in Pittsburgh at Thomas's house. And Thomas like, this is one of the most important companies that could ever exist. Like we need infrastructure that with the number of species we're going to lose, like what happens if, you know, we don't have the technology to bring these species back and we have ecosystem collapse. And so we started to, I, I think, be really thoughtful about who we brought to the table and, um, you know, Thomas and, and Jim and, and others supported us early on. And then that kind of gave us the traction to just uh, to just go and fast forward to now, you know, we now have four labs, we've got 114 people, we've got a 60 person scientific and executive advisory board, and we've got 30 postdocs, we fund all over the world, including 15 there in Australia. And we're working now on the mammoth, the thylacine and the dodo. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's going, uh, much better than it started. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, I guess before like the answering the, what, how do we monetize and, um, and apart from it being just an, a really interesting concept to work on the, the big question is why, like, why is de-extinction important? Why has this taken your focus away from what you're working on? What are the benefits of bringing back the woolly mammoth, the Tasmanian tiger, the dodo. What what is this? What's the fundamental problem that you're solving here? The the why? We we thought there was a really great opportunity with Colossal to to build a company that had a lot of economic value and and built value for our shareholders, uh, while also making an impact to the world. Um, and then if we do it the right way, and we're transparent and we're ethical, and and we try to you know, be as inclusive as possible along the journey. Hopefully we can also inspire, right? Like we've, I've, I've seen a lot of people that have been inspired by the, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin and, and kind of NASA journey, right? Like there's like being a part of these like literal moonshots is, is pretty interesting. And, you know, hopefully someone else does something much better and cooler than we did because of, you know, our, our grit and work and hopefully long-term success here. Um, but fundamentally we're going to lose up to 50% of all biodiversity between now and 2050, if we don't do anything, and you know, man-made climate change, and you know, um, uh, just all of the, the 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 choices that that we are making on this planet are having a, a, a causality effect around the world, and and you know, you, you know, Australia obviously is you know currently kind of leading in mammalian you know extinction rates, right? And we're seeing that in the wildfires, we're seeing that with invasive species with cats and 
and in other species around the world. And so for us, you know, if we can use the extinction as our way to build a toolkit that we can monetize in a lot of different ways, which I, I guess we'll talk about in a minute, while subsidizing those te same technologies or, or variants of those technologies for uh, conservation and give conservation new tools um, in, 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 in the uh, fight against loss of biodiversity, it seems you know interesting economically. It seems uh, interesting from an impact perspective. And so the opportunity to go build something and apply mine and other people's and other people much farther than me is the skill set to these challenges is, is it, it, it was like, you know, you say, as it, we talked about my journey earlier, you say as an entrepreneur, at least I've said it is a hundred times or probably more, oh, I want to do this and it's going to change the world. Like I, on, at least tech entrepreneurs in America say that that's mm. part of like what they teach us or put in the Kool-Aid. And, um, <laughs> uh, but most of those companies don't, <laughs> most of those companies like just use more compute power and shit and go into get bought by someone who ruins it. That's kind of what happens. And, uh, you know, so when you're presented this opportunity as an entrepreneur that's said those words, you're pretty disingenuous if you kind of get an opportunity to step up to the plate and you don't swing. And so I felt like, you know, this is really George's idea. And I feel like I just get to be a partner and be a steward of that idea. But I feel like, you know, if it all fails, I could just go make more software. And um, this was an opportunity I, I felt to do something that that we believe really matters. And hopefully we can arm conservationists with and governments with new technologies that, that could be at least, you know, not solve the biodiversity loss crisis, but, um, but, but maybe be one bullet in the war against it. Mm. So Ben, uh, let's drill down on this question of why, uh, because there's an interesting climate change angle. So I'd, I'd love for you to unpack it. The story of the woolly mammoth, uh, reintroducing uh, the woolly mammoth to the Arctic tundra and how that might help in the world's fight against climate change. If you could unpack that mechanism a little bit, uh, that would be great. Yeah. So there's in all the species that we're working on, we look at what is the ecosystem uh, balance or ecological void that's being uh, solved. Obviously, we can talk about thylacine in a minute. Um, talk about the dodo. They all they all solve different problems, right? None none of them independently are going to cure and combat climate change, but they can they can play their role. And what's interesting with George when I when we started this 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 project was uh, George had been working with scientists in Siberia and in and in Cambridge and others in in, in the uh, Arctic and 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 um, tundra research groups looking at what is the impact of rewilding cold tolerant megafauna at the right density models back into in into the tundra into the taiga forest and what they found which i thought's really fascinating it, it you know it's shown up in you know now i think nine or ten peer-reviewed papers scientific papers is that with the reintroduction of the uh, of these of these species coupled with the removal of these uh, carnivorous trees, uh, these these taiga trees, which are very low car carbon yielding, they've got this dark bark, they permeate 
the soil, uh, it, they're kind of almost like heat lightning rods. And, uh, and if you remove those and you get the right density of, 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 of megafauna, of, of cold tolerant megafauna back in, in, the, uh, in the area, you can lower ground temperatures by up to eight degrees. Uh, and and, and they've, they've proven this over decades. And the reason why, and then I'll tell you why, why that group is law, as well as others and uh, George have modeled that mammoths can be accelerated to it is um, you get this, this like compounding effect. The Arctic grasslands had about a sixth, the, the, the grasses comparative to the, the tiger forest is about six times more efficient at, at carbon storage in the root structure than the taiga forest. They all, it also is about two to three times more efficient at what's called the albedo effect. So the, the radiation light reflection um, coefficient back into space that isn't absorbed in, in, into, the, in, in, into the grasses. And interestingly enough, in the winter months, those herding animals in the winter months, they actually help pack the snow so that the temperatures of those cold winds that really drive the temperatures on the ground aren't hitting that insulated warming effect of that fluffy snow layer, they're actually getting closer to the ground and lowering temperature. So in the summer months, when the permafrost starts to thaw, starts to thaw naturally, it starts off about eight degrees colder, right? And we've all been talking about the 1.5 degree tipping point. And, and why that's important, and then in the summer months, they're just great at eating and defecating and, and, and spreading those, those um, uh, that was spreading those grasses. And what's interesting about elephants specifically, there's a, there's a paper that came out last year or last year, the year and a half, year and a half ago around forest elephants and how forest elephants are one of the most important climate mo environmental modifiers and climate protectors on the planet, because they just instinctually know what tree they love knocking down trees. And when Colossal does not have a war on trees, we just want to support elephants that seem to be much smarter at which trees knock down than us. Um, but but they in all these peer-reviewed papers, they've shown that that elephants actually know which trees to knock down. And the African forest elephant knocks down these low carbon yielding trees and and supports the trees that that are better for the environment. It, it, it's just crazy what nature does. And so take that and, and, and you look at kind of these natural these these natural bulldozers uh, of, of the tiger forest, and and you look at kind of all the benefits of that. If we can get to a point where even if we can't you know lower ground temperatures by eight degrees, but even you know north of one point five, it will be very helpful because there's more carbon and more methane stored in the Arctic Circle than anywhere else on Earth. It's about double what's in the atmosphere, and methane's about 30 times worse than carbon in the atmosphere. So if the permafrost melts, and, and, and just to be clear, Colossal is not going to stop the permafrost melting. We believe that we can help build a richer Pleistocene ecosystem and, and help rejuvenate it and play a part in it. But a lot more people need to be thinking about the permafrost melting, because if the permafrost melts, and I've been there, uh, we got a bigger problem than, than a lot of things. Mm. It's sad, the extremes that we have to go to to fight climate change. Um, <laughs> Bringing a mammoth back. Well, but, but, yeah. this is a nature, but here's the beauty. This is kind of like, it, it's a halo effect, right? It's like, if we are successful on our mammoth pursuit in other, you know, Arctic rewilding pursuits, then, you know, we can help replenish that ecosystem. We've seen rewilding work across the world like yellowstone and in many other locations and nature's pretty good at this and there was a paper that came out uh a couple months ago talking about 
the effects of nine species, elephants being one, that these nine species, if there were more of them and we protected them, they would that their impact to the ecosystem and its restorative pro uh, properties, as well as the carbon sinks themselves, would offset the same amount of carbon as all cars. <laughs> so we actually can find a balance with nature if we work with nature. We it's not like like people are like oh you, we just have to go home and you know use solar power and turn off everything and never use a car. I don't believe that. I, I think that there are alternatives to kind of this like ecosystem life balance that just needs to exist. And so I don't even look at it as extreme. I just think it's bringing attention to these areas that if we could collaborate better with nature, you know, I think a lot of the stuff would get sorted out. Mm. I'm interested to ask you a question around, um, I guess, the the moral hazard uh, of of this technology because like it, it's so exciting and the opportunity not just for you know the woolly mammoth and the uh, tasmanian tiger and the like but you know as you've mentioned the biodiversity loss that the world's already seen and is projected to continue saying is is pretty staggering and any opportunity to bring it back is really exciting how do you think about the way that success for you would change people's behavior like do you think it would lead to less conservation efforts because you know your technology sort of acts as a backstop or how do you think about the implications of this if you're successful yeah it's a very it's great it's a great point and and thoughtful question that you know we spend a lot of time with our bioethicists and our conservation board talking about but you know bring back an extinct species is not cheap it is it is expensive like we raised 225 million dollars us like that that's not you know that, that's two hundred twenty five million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's exactly what it is. Um, the uh, and and and, and so th this is very hard and it's very expensive and you, we can't bring back you know every every species. We I had a similar question the other day where someone asked if we bring back the Taz Tazzy tiger, will the Australian and Tasmanians they won't really learn from their mistakes. So like well, most people that killed them are dead. Um, and I think that that doesn't mean that we can't we can't learn from the sins of the past by making better choices in the, in, in the future. And so I would rather, you know, I, I'm more of an eternal optimist than pessimist. And so I, I don't really believe in a lot of these dystopian narratives that we are being fed. And so um, I, I personally believe that it's better to have the technologies and be able to leverage them in in ways to help species like the northern white rhino or others uh, than to not have them when you absolutely need them. So I'd rather have them than not need them. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it, it de-extinction on a global scale is cost prohibitive, right? Like, you know, maybe long-term colossal does a handful of species, but I think what is probably more likely a bigger impact is that the technologies colossal develops Outside of its application to human healthcare, the, the, the technology that it develops for, for concert, that has an application to conservation, I think nonprofits and NGOs and, and, and governments start using those technologies in their own regard. And so we we have a plan that we've been very open with that any technology application that we have for conservation, people can use for free, right? And so we can't solve everything. It's not our technology. Um, it, it's more about how do we empower those other conservation groups. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think it gives us 
as a human is humanity an excuse not to be good stewards of it because you know if we if we take that attitude uh it, it's technology and cost prohibitive we can't bring everything back so ben you mentioned that you'd raise 225 million and we are a business podcast so on the other side of this break i want to pick up the fundraising journey to date and what it's been like 
that's something that you know we've created tremendous shareholder value in a very short period of time. We are innovating at such a fast clip that the biggest thing that we're we're spending a lot of time on is thinking about when to spin out, when to JV, when to license tech. Um, we are also given this incredible network of scientists. There, we have incredible people from all over the world at tier one universities and, and, and others that are, are bringing us IP and ideas, right? People that, you know, maybe couldn't have gotten funding because they didn't have the business plan, but have really great science. So, you know, we, we're not ready to announce anything yet, but we are working on a, on a directed evolution partnership with uh, a company that we're partially gestating in Colossal right now that we think has massive applications to climate and other areas. You know, and, and, and so we're looking at leveraging kind of the infrastructure and, and technology that we're developing here and putting them into in, into JVs as well as the, these direct spin outs. And so that, that technology incubation, you know, is, is fundamental to our approach to this. Like multiplex editing is as most diseases are multi yeah, are multi disease states you know, require a multi-gene solution, very few are single gene sourced, right? And so we are arguably one of the companies in the world that's advancing multiplex editing and be able to edit at multiple parts uh, of the genome uh, at the same time uh, with causing minimum off-target effects. That, that's something that we're seeing, you know, that we're developing at Colossal, right? And so that alone and that the suite of technologies alone on that could be massively transformative to, to, to human healthcare. Um, so when you take that and then you also look at the opportunities uh, with governments around the world and biobanking and species preservation and carbon credits and biodiversity credits, we really think there's an opportunity to, to build a big technology business, a big government business uh, and beyond. And, and those are just where we're starting. And so when you start to really look at the math, a couple of multi-billion dollar, you know, shots on goal that come out of the company, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from, you know, biodiversity and carbon credits to eventually billions long-term with these kind of like, you know, um, self-replicating assets. It seems interesting, right? And so outside of the halo effect of these academic institutions that are now bringing us technologies to collaborate on. So, um, it's definitely a non-traditional business model. It's also a new category, right? Like no one, no one's really succeeded yet in de-extinction to our knowledge. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an entire new uh, category that we're trying to to navigate the best way we know. Well, Ben, I think uh, your comment there seems interesting is probably the understatement of this interview. It is absolutely fascinating what you guys are working on. Uh, I want to uh, close out with two questions about the future, one about the more short-term future and then one longer-term future. So the first uh, more short-term, uh, when we were researching uh, for this episode, we saw that uh, when you first announced Colossal and uh, in, in early press, uh, you and George were talking about 2027 as the date that you thought woolly mammoths would be reintroduced uh, to the Arctic tundra. Are we still on? Four, four years isn't that long. So, um, yes, trust me, trust <laughs> me, four years is not that long. Uh, yeah, so we, so um, I, I, I don't know if we said reintroduced. I think we said birth because it's about 22, there is a 22-month gestation. Uh, I will say, though, we just announced a partnership with North Dakota, North Dakota uh, State here in the U.S., uh, one of our northernmost states, obviously excluding Alaska. We're also working with the Alaskan government and people as well. Uh, but we just announced a partnership with Alaska, and they actually invested 
the state invested in, in, in the company. So they have kind of this vested interest in our success. We're working with them on what different rewilding models look like for mammoths and other species. And so I think that the rewilding efforts will take longer. It takes about six years, I think, for calves. We're working with a lot of groups in, in non elephant nonprofits and in, in orphaned elephants in Africa. So we're looking at different models for rewilding. We, we think six it'll be about six years post-birth before we can start really rewilding. And we, we're on target, you know, I think 2027, maybe December 31st could be possible. We are looking at, at 2028. We feel really confident about that 2028 goal. All of the necessary uh, parts of the project and parts of the system, we've parallel pathed. And so we've got different uh, stages of development, not just, you, this isn't a linear development process, but we are, we're in the editing phase. So, you know, we feel confident in that kind of like, 2028 time frame, maybe a little later, maybe a little sooner, uh, but that that that's still you know very much in the realm of possibility. I I will say, uh, it will probably not be the first species, just because it's got a 22 month gestation, mm -hmm. and some of the other breakthroughs we've had recent recently may lead to other species coming sooner. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, Ben, uh, we like to always finish uh, conversations with CEOs when uh, uh, talking about, I guess, what long-term success would look like. Um, so, you know, if you are uh, able to achieve everything that you want to achieve and build the company or companies now, we should say, given that you've had one spin out and it sounds like there might be more, but if you're able to sort of achieve everything that you want to achieve, looking back in 20 or 30 years, what would success look like for you? Um, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, if I saw a, a Tazzy tiger or a thylacine, <laughs> it'd be just amazing. They're yeah. like, it'd just be amazing. And, and I, I don't want it ever not to be amazing because I think nature's pretty cool, right? Like elephants are cool. If you go see an elephant, it's pretty damn cool. It's amazing. Um, but, I, but maybe um, if it's not magical, like right now I'd say it's magical. You saw a thylacine or a dodo or a, a mammoth, you'd be like, wow, that's not just amazing. That's un unbelievable. That's magical, right? If... I would like for us to be so successful that like mammoths are just a thing. They're just a thing in the ecosystem. They're just like, they're still great and amazing. Like elephants are amazing or like rhinos are amazing or like cheetahs are amazing, but they're not like, Oh my gosh, like, it's the most insane thing because we were so successful in not just the, the extinction of, but also the, the population genomics in building sustainable herds. Same thing with the Tassie tiger where it's like, it's no longer this like Bigfoot esque, blurry photo thing in the Australian culture. Like, oh my gosh, I saw a picture of something and but I didn't get a good picture of it. It's like the UAP of marsupials over there. And um, our phones just don't work around aliens and thylacines and Bigfoot. Those are the three. I don't know what they've what deal they've cut with Apple. But I think success means that like it's just part of life again and it's not magical. And so if we can make it not magical because there's enough thriving populations. I think that's success. Well, Ben, that is a crazy thought to end the interview with. I hope in 20 years that we are w walking around just very blase, yeah, about, blase it. about the <laughs> fact that there's mam yeah, ma ma mammoths hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be epic. Well, we wish you all the best with it and we'll be following very, very closely. And I'm, and I'm so glad we've had the opportunity to speak with you today. I, no doubt there are plenty of uh, equity mates, community members listening who have been very fascinated in your story. So all the best with it and thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. So Equity Mates, as Ben just said, he will be here in Australia for the South by Southwest Conference. If you're interested in seeing him, plus many other thinkers, creators, and innovators from around the world, uh, head to the link in the show notes to grab a ticket. It is a week-long event from October 15 through to October 22. Huge program, people from all over the world. It's an opportunity for startup pitches, networking, they say mind-bending activations in technology, showcasing future trends, Ren. Well, maybe it's there'll all... be a woolly mammoth exhibition. <laughs> that would be awesome. But anyway, head to uh, southbysouthwest.com. That is sxswsydney.com. And we'll see you there. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.